welcome to the Renaissance Christian Church Podcast. We're a church family with the mission of seeking God, serving others, and sharing the gospel. We're grateful that you have joined us as we study through the Bible, and we hope that it brings you encouragement and inspiration for your daily life. Here's Pastor Robert Fonseca. Again, happy Mother's Day to everybody. Um, Every Mother's Day, I uh, take a break from our uh, current teaching series, and I like to study one of the moms uh, out of the Bible uh, so that we can learn something about God through maybe the mom's life or what she's going through or how God deals with her. And today's no different. We're going to look at a, a mother who wants to be and then a mother to be, and we'll find some great lessons in their lives of how God interacts with them. Uh, but before we do that, as I was uh, studying and preparing for the message this week, I thought about the fact that doesn't it seem like uh, your mom can see everything? You know, they say that moms have eyes in the back of their head. They know what's going on uh, before it happens, or they see you doing something even though they're not there. Uh, I, was, I read an article that talked about that, and they assured us that moms don't have eyes in the back of their head. But it's more, like, it's more likely that she just knows you really well and can anticipate what you are going to do. Maybe even before you yourself know what you're going to do. Maybe that describes uh, your upbringing with your mom or your current situation with your mother now. Uh, it goes on in this article. I want to read uh, part of it. It says this, Many mothers will tell you, that it is that this special connection with their children stretches beyond the mere ability to anticipate their behavior, more than just guesswork. These mothers believe they possess something called mother's intuition, which is a form of insight or knowledge about their children that is independent of actual perception. Mother's intuition is often described as a gut feeling that mothers sometimes get uh, about their children. Psychiatrists believe that this internal radar that mothers tend to have for their children begins at conception and strengthens throughout the nine months before the child is born. And there are many stories, they say, uh, of mothers who have, uh, who've had persistent thoughts or dreams or sometimes even physical feelings that have led them to believe that their children were in danger some type of heightened sense. You know, it's like there's a disturbance in the force moms are aware of. Uh, I've seen this happen many times even in my own life uh, with my wife and our children. Uh, She can always sense that something's not right or something's going on. And more times than not, she's, she's right. You can just ask my kids. The article also says mothers who have followed their intuition have often learned that they They were correct, just as I mentioned with my wife. And they saved their children from all sorts of dangers so that in the future, uh, take heed, this article says, to your mother's warnings. If she has a gut feeling about something, don't dismiss it. Honor her intuition. Take heed. You never know when your mother's intuition could save you from danger. And all the moms can say, amen. Listen to mom, right? They know what's going on. Again, they know there's something off, and they seem to know and see what we're doing before we do it. And as I read that, and I was thinking of this morning's uh, sermon, 
it made me even think more so of God. God in that sense, he doesn't have intuition. God knows all things. He sees all things. He knows what we're going to do before we do it. So in one sense, moms are a little bit like God in that sense, that they're there to protect us and keep us from danger. And in this story today, we're going to see that. The story before us we have today, uh, we're going to look at a situation um, that is not ideal. It's not the best of family situations. It's not even fair in some sense. There's going to be a lot of unfairness going on. But isn't that life? Isn't that what life is like? Life's not always fair. Life sometimes is not ideal. I mean, we're not in an ideal situation right now as a world. And it sometimes may not even seem fair. People are losing out on their life savings. People are losing out on their one and only time to graduate college and high school and missing their prom and all sorts of things that don't seem fair. And so, as I said, in this story that we're going to look at, we're going to see this family take things into their own hands. And maybe you've thought that's like, hey, things aren't working out. I'm going to take it into my own hands and make them right. But what we're going to see in this family is that they were promised a child from the Lord. And it didn't come to pass as they thought it would. And out of frustration, they make some desperate decisions. And they kind of take the decision-making out of the Lord's hand and take it in their own hands, and they make matters a lot worse. And, it, and in the process, not only do they hurt their own family, but they will hurt other people in generations to come, unfortunately. But in the midst of this situation, we're going to find out and we're going to learn and be reminded that the Lord hears our cries in, our, in the midst of our affliction. And the Lord sees us in the midst of this affliction. The great thing about those two things is not only does the Lord hear us and see us, but He is actively working in the midst of those situations in our lives. So with that said, let's go to the text this morning. Uh, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 16. Uh, we're going to go through this, and I'll point out a, a, a few things along the way and then wrap it up with some application. So let's look at the situation here. Uh, if you're not familiar with it, we're going to be talking about Abram and Sarai and also a handmaiden named Hagar. So Abram was promised to have a child, and it hasn't come to pass. And you'll see that in the beginning here in this little background. So it says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So right away, we see uh, who's all involved. Uh, she didn't have a child. She was promised to have a child, and Sarai says uh, she didn't have a child. She's barren. And she rightly says in verse 2, look, at me, look with me. So Sarai said to Abraham, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. So right from the beginning, Sarai understands that this is from God. God is preventing me from having a child, which she rightly concluded. But then she wrongly takes the situation into her own hands and creates a problem. She, just like I said at the beginning, sometimes we do that. We want to take things into our own hands when things aren't going right and they can get messy. And that's exactly what is going to happen. So she, again, she concludes, God hasn't given me a child, um, but she forgot, she didn't, she failed to see, I should say, that it wasn't a permanent problem. Again, sometimes we think the problem that we have is going to last forever, but it's not. 
God could be working through the problem, and that's what we're going to see here. She takes it into her own hands, going back to verse 2. She says, please go into my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So Sarai comes up with the solution. Hey, God's not giving me a child. Maybe we can have a child through my maidservant. So in ancient culture here, uh, we're not going to go into all the intricacies of what's going on, but I, like I said, these are not ideal situations. Um, but in this culture, it was legal for a maidservant. This was Sarai's personal maidservant or slave. Uh, uh, she could be used as a surrogate for Sarai. And that was, in fact, sometimes her role. She was going to have children for her mistress. And so that's what Sarai is suggesting here. Hey, I can't have a child, uh, Abram, so I'm going to give you my mist or my maidservant, and maybe God will bless us through her. This is her solution. And let's go back to the text now again. So Abraham listened to the voice, verse 3, and, and Abraham lived 10 years in the land of Canaan. Abram's wife Sarai took Hagar, uh, the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to her husband as his wife. He went into Hagar, and she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her sight. So what's going on here? Let, let's stop here for a second. Again, Sarai's solution is, I'm going to give you my handmaid, and maybe God's going to bless us through her. And, and so it looks like, hey, things are going well. She conceived. She's going to have a baby. God's going to bless us. But there's a little bit of a problem here. If you didn't catch it at the end of verse 4, let's read that again. Uh, actually, it's in verse, uh, verse 5. Or verse 4, sorry. It says, Her mistress was despised in her sight. So what's going on here? Even though Hagar, this was her duty to be a surrogate mother, what happened was is she began to think, what we can surmise from the text, is that she began to look with uh, disdain maybe or distaste at Sarai. Like, hey, maybe Abraham's going to consider me his wife. Maybe he'll like me more than you. Maybe he's going to elevate me from just a maidservant on equal par with Sarai. Maybe that's what's going on here. And Sarai, as you can suggest, is not having any of this. Look at verse 5. Sarai says to Abraham, May the wrong done me be upon you. Sarai says, it's, you know, even though Sarai came up with this solution, she throws the problem back on her husband. This would be in Marriage Counseling 101, right? You're going to say, you don't start blaming each other for the problems that are going on. Let's take some responsibility. But Sarai blames Abram. Look at what she says again. Sarai says to Abram, may the wrong, uh, be, uh, the wrong done me be upon you. I, and she admits, I gave my maidservant into your arms, but when she, she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. So Sarah's like, again, I'm not having any of this. Um, Hagar thinks that she's better than me. Abraham, you need to fix this. If this was a modern day problem, I could see Abraham's just kicking back on the couch, watching TV, minding his own business. And Sarai comes and smacks him in the head. He goes, look what you did. He's, what are you talking about? I didn't, even, I didn't do anything. I'm just watching the game. And Abraham does what any husband would do. He throws the problem right back on Sarai. 
Abraham, look at verse 6. Like, not my fault. It's your fault. You gave her to me. I was just doing what you said. Abram says in verse 6, Behold, your maid is in your power. Do, what, do to her what is good in your sight. Abraham actually confirms with Sarai, you know, hey, you are above her. She's not, you know, she means nothing to me, so to speak. She's not my wife. You do what you want. She's still your maidservant. You take care of the issue and do what you think is right. So instead of him helping out, he just throws it back to Sarai. And so what does Sarai do? Look at the rest of verse 6. So Sarai, it says, treated her harshly and she fled from her presence, meaning Hagar fled, which we'll talk about in a moment. So Sarai, instead of doing the right thing, maybe just, you know, uh, talking to Hagar, reminding her about her place, the scripture says that she treated her harshly. And we're not, just, we're not told exactly what she had done, but maybe she did tell Hagar and keep Hagar in her place. That, hey, you're a maidservant. You're not anything to Abram, and you're always going to be a maidservant. But whatever she did, it was harsh enough to cause Hagar to want to get away from the problem. And that's where we see at the end of verse 6 again, it says that she fled her presence. So Hagar's solution to the problem just exasperates her own issues, right? She flees. She's like, I'm out of here. I'm done with this. I don't want any part of it. And she takes off running. Look at verse 6. Again, she fled from her presence, and then pick up in verse 7. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water, excuse me, by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. So Hagar flees from her mistress's presence. Because again, she doesn't want to deal with this problem. She just wants to get away. Maybe she wants to run for protection from being treated harshly. And oftentimes... Um, if, if we would just trust the Lord when we are treated harshly, or if we're in the midst of problems or trials or persecution like Hagar, we might realize real growth in our own personal development as people and as children of God, right? If Hagar, we'll find if she would have stayed there, maybe she would have grown. She would have been able to become a stronger person by going through the problem. Just because somebody's quote-unquote mean to you or harsh to you doesn't mean you just take off running. You have to deal with the situation. And so here Hagar is just fleeing. And this is going to be the wrong thing, as we'll see in a few moments. We're reminded in the book of James how we are to deal with hard times. In James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, James, uh, James writes this to the church who's suffering some persecution. He says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So James doesn't say, Hey, when hard times come, you guys should take off running. No. He says, consider it all joy. Why? Because it's going to make you a stronger person. It's going to make you a stronger believer. Now, let me just issue, uh, I don't know if this is a warning, but just when you hear this, don't say, well, whatever's going on in my life, what if I'm suffering physical abuse? Am I supposed to just sit there and take it? 
And I would say, no, there are some exceptions to this. But for the most part, if you're just suffering ill treatment, not physical ill treatment, that we're called to stay there. And again, I, I would caution us to say, hey, don't stay in a place where you're being violently victimized or abused. That doesn't seem to be what was going on here with Hagar and Sarai, and James wasn't addressing that either. And I just wanted to say that so you don't misinterpret what I'm saying in that regard. So, again, going back to our story, uh, so Hagar is fleeing, she's leaving this place, she doesn't want to be there, and something to note, where we'll come to in a few moments in a little more detail, is she's fleeing her only source of protection and her only source of provision she had known for at least 10 years, according to verse 3. Somewhere along the way in Sarai and Abram's travels, she had been uh, picked up as a maidservant. So for at least 10 years, again, according to verse 3, this is all she has known. So it really took a lot for her to leave, but she couldn't take it anymore and she just left. And it seems that she was heading back to Egypt. She was heading back to her home country. And she finally stops for rest at a spring of water, according to verse 7. And this is where we find God's solution to the entire issue here. Look at verse 7. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. So the angel finds her here in verse 7. It's not that the Lord lost her, right? The Lord didn't know. It's not like the Lord didn't know where she was. And he was hunting her down. No, he knew where she was. What he's saying is he came upon her, and this is where she was. This is the place that she ended up. She was really found in the sense that she was ready to listen. She had come to a place where she was going to stop running. Maybe she was exhausted. Maybe she was tired. And she was finally found at a place where she was ready to listen. For some people, even if you think about it in your own life or in, you see in other people's lives, they are running from their situations right now. And they're not ready to listen. They're not ready to be found. And so God allows them to run and run and run until they exhaust themselves. They run around in this wilderness, sometimes making problems even worse than they are. But they're not ready to listen. So God hasn't found them, so to speak, yet. And let that be a warning to us as well. We need to be in a place where we can hear from God. Again, it's not that God hasn't found us yet. It's that we're not ready to listen to the Lord. And so it seems like now she's ready to listen, and that's why the Lord, uh, through the angel, intervenes. And so the Lord is going to ask her two questions in order to help her in her predicament. Look at verse 8. He said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? So these are the two questions. Where have you come from? And again, it's not that the, the angel Lord didn't know where she came from. He knows where she came from. He really wanted Hagar to realize what she had done, to realize the severity of her predicament. It's kind of like us when we confess our sins to the Lord. It's not that the Lord didn't, doesn't know that we just sinned against him. No, we don't confess our sins to inform God, just like Hagar is not informing the Lord where she's from. 
But when we confess our sins, we are admitting and we are agreeing with the Lord that we've sinned against Him, that what we've done was wrong. We're confessing that to the Lord. And in the same way, He wants Hagar to admit that she has done something wrong. Like, what have you done, Hagar? Where have you come from? And she admits it. She says, I have, in verse 8 again, uh, she says, I am fleeing the presence of my mistress, Sarai. So she's admitting it. And the second question that the, the angel of the Lord asks her is like, where are you going? Again, the Lord knows where she's going. He wants Hagar to realize here her solution is not good where she thinks she's going and that she needs the Lord, Lord's help. She needs to realize, I don't know where I'm going and I need help. And that's similar to us as people that sometimes we need to confess to the Lord, Lord, help us. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what decision uh, to make in this area of what's going on. I need you to help me. And sometimes the Lord does it. Hey, where do you think you're going with this? What decisions are you making? Again, it's to get us to realize that we need the Lord's help. And that's exactly what the angel of the Lord is doing here with Hagar. Where have you come from? Hagar, and where are you going? Again, Hagar is running away. And she's running, it seems like, to a place that she once knew, maybe when she was a lot younger. We don't know how old Hagar is, but she's young enough to have a child. And so maybe, and she's been away from home for at least 10 years, as I mentioned already, but so she's just running. She's just getting away from her situation and she's hoping that wherever she's going, it's got to be better than this. She just wants to get away from the harsh treatment of her mistress. And again, just taking it to a personal level, we tend to run away as well from problems in our life, don't we? Sometimes we'll run back to our old lifestyles, those of you that are believers. Sometimes you'll run back to old habits, things that would give you comfort in some sense that you remember those things. Sometimes we think life was better before when we go through hard times. Sometimes we think the grass is going to be greener. It's got to be better than the situation that we're going through. But we need to realize that just exiting or running away from the current problem at hand doesn't mean it's going to go away. We could be running and spinning our, you know, spinning our wheels round and round to no avail and end up finally at a well where the Lord is finally meeting with us. And so this is what is happening with Hagar. She's finally realizing that, hey, I'm fleeing and I don't really know where I'm going. And so the Lord is going to give her some instructions through the angel. Look at verse 9. He says, Hagar... Sarah's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? And again, she says, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, here's where the two instructions that he gives her, return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. That's probably not what Hagar wanted to hear, right? Hagar probably wanted to hear, hey, I have this direction to help you get back home. Or I'm going to provide for you. No, he says, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Return to your mistress. Why should she go back to the problem that she was trying to escape? Well, because this is where the Lord wanted her to be. 
The Lord had placed her there for a reason. And this is the place, as I mentioned earlier, where the Lord provided for her. The Lord protected her. She may not see it. She may not even like it. But this is the place the Lord is going to use, not only for her immediate protection, because right now she's running in the wilderness. No protection. A young lady just running, and she doesn't know where. She's pregnant. It's not good for her to be where she's at. She needs to go back where God was providing for her and where God had protection for her in the family of Abram. And this is the place that he wanted her to be so that he could bless her, which we'll see in a few moments. So he says, return to your mistress. And not only do you return, you need to submit to her authority. Remember, you're her maidservant. That's your position. God has put you there for a reason. Again, she may not understand it. She may not like it, but she needs to submit to the authority in her life. Again, God has placed her in this home for a reason, and she must submit to the Lord by submitting to authority that God has placed over her. And that's true for our life as believers as well. We need to submit to authority as we submit to the Lord, because this is what the Lord desires for us. Turn with me to First uh, Peter, and I want to show you what Peter says uh, to the church here. First Peter chapter 2, let's look at verses 13 through 20. This is talking about submitting. Peter says this, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution. So these aren't even institutions that maybe the Lord has created, but he said they're human ones. You need to submit to those, and you'll see why as we go along. He says, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. Why? Why should we do this? Look at verse 15. For such is the will of God that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. This is one of those rare instances in Scripture where God actually tells us His will. It is the will of God for Christians to submit to authority. Every human institution, whether a king as one in authority or as governors. And that's really relevant for us today, right? We are submitting as a church to the governing authorities of our nation. We may not like it. We may not agree with it. We may not understand it, but God has put the governor over us, the president over us, the mayor over us, and we are to obey until they restrict us from proclaiming the gospel. I would much rather have this room filled with our entire church than us sitting at home watching church. But God has called us to obey the governing authorities, and so we are doing it. This is God's will. To rebel against that is to rebel against God. Verse 16 goes on and says, Act as free men and do not use your freedom as covering for evil, but use it as a bond slave of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. And verse 18 is more particular, especially with Hagar's life. Look at what he says. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only those who are good and gentle, but those who are unreasonable. So this is exactly Hagar's, Hagar's situation, right? Her mistress, Sarah, is being harsh, maybe even unreasonable. Does God say, hey, you only obey those people 
that are doing good to you? No. He says, even those who are unreasonable. Again, verse 19, because this finds favor, and for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrow when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. God wants us and Hagar here in the scripture to be submissive to the authority that God has put over them. And we in our own lives need to be submissive to the authorities that we are put over us. For children, it's their parents. For parents, it could be even their parents in some sense, but even more when they're in the workplace, to their supervisors, to their managers, even those who are unfair and harsh were to submit to them. And in this current situation, we submit to the governing authorities of our nation, local, federal, and in our state. This is what God would call us to do. So again, Hagar's instructions as we return back to our text is to return to your mistress and to submit to her authority. And then verse 10, we're going to pick up now. And this is what God is going to do while she does what he's called her to do. Look how he's going to bless Hagar. Verse 10, Moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants, so they will be too many to count. He's like, hey, go back. And as you submit to my, to my command and to the, gov- and the authority that's put over you, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a great, uh, a great people. You're going to have many descendants. This is what was promised to Abram as well in earlier chapters. I'm going to multiply your descendants and they will be too many to count. And he goes on and then he talks about her son. Look at verse uh, 11. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child, right? So she's pregnant. And he says, You will have a son and you shall call him Ishmael because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. The name that is given to her son is Ishmael, which means God hears. God hears. God's hearing her cry. God's there for her. Not only does he hear, he's involved in all that's going on. He hears her, and it's a reminder for her. Remember, I hear you. So I'm sure every time she says Ishmael's name or is with him, she can be reminded that God hears. I remember that time that God heard me. And my son is a reflection of God's promise to me throughout his life, throughout her own life. And she's going to need this because look at what's said about her son after this. So even though, just let me point this out, even though God answers you and God blesses you, that doesn't mean everything's going to be perfect from here on out. And this prophecy about Ishmael, what he's going to be like, is a reminder to her that she's going to need God's help. Look at what the, uh, the angel says about her son. He says, verse 12, And he will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him, and he will live to the east of all his brothers. This is not something that probably most parents or parents-to-be want to hear about their son, right? He's going to be a wild donkey of a man. Everybody's going to be against him. He's going to be against everybody. What this is saying, that he's going to be strong-willed. He's going to be short-tempered. He's going to be individualistic type of person. And guess what? You're going to need help in raising him. 
But remember Ishmael, God hears. And she takes this as a blessing. Look at her response in verse 13. She doesn't go, oh, man, I don't want this kind of child. No. She says in verse 13, then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. So she gives God a name after this prophecy. He says, she says, you are a God who sees. So not only does God hear, she says, you see what's going on. She says, for she said, have I remained alive hereafter seeing him? She confesses that she met God. She calls God the God who sees. God has seen all that she's going through and done so with a great promise. And then in verse 14, we go on. She says, Therefore the well was called Ber Lahoroi. Behold, it is between Kadesh and Barad. So she names the well, or this well is named, to commemorate all that has just happened in her life. It's called the, it means the well of the living one who sees me. So it's a reminder of all that God has done for her, all that God is going to do for her. So she's excited about this, and we can see from verses 15 and 16 that she does exactly what God has called her to do. Look at verse 15 as we close the text. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar born, Ishmael. And Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. So again, she returns and submits. And because of that, she gives birth to Ishmael. And if you read the rest of her story, God fulfills each and every one of these promises. But it's not easy and it's not carefree. Again, that prophecy reminds her of who Ishmael will be. But she will always know that God hears and God sees. So with that, what can we take about this story from the mother-to-be? What can you and I learn from this? And we'll close with just these few things. Number one, and this is really probably in particular to those of you this morning who are listening who maybe don't know the Lord yet. And the, que- and the thing that you can learn this morning is this. Stop running from the place God has you. Stop running from that place. Really, it's actually a message to all of us because even as believers, we can run from the place that we're in. We don't like it like Hagar. We don't like what's going on in our life. The grass could be greener somewhere else. But we need to stop running from the place that God has us in at this very moment. This can be a place, as I mentioned earlier, of great growth in our spiritual life. God may, be allow, or God may be allowing this in our life so that we grow closer to Him, that we trust Him more. And as I mentioned when I first started this point, this can be a place for great spiritual birth. For those of you who do not know the Lord, maybe God has allowed you into a situation that is so bad that you have nowhere to go, that you are just running and you don't know where you're running to. And you finally come to the place where you stopped running, you're exhausted, God has found you, you're ready to listen, and this can be a place for you to grow, have your spiritual birth, your awakening, by giving your life to the Lord. And if that's you, I would encourage you to do that even now, that you would cry out to the Lord, saying, you know what, Lord, I need you. I don't know where I'm going in life. 
and I need you to help me. Please forgive me of my sins and come into my life and lead me from this day forward. And if you do that, God will come into your life. You will be his child. This could be the day of your spiritual birth. Stop running from the place that God has you in. Secondly, what we can learn from this morning's sermon is that we need to submit to God in the midst of the trial. So even though we may not understand or enjoy the place we are in, we need to submit to the Lord and trust that this is the best place for us to be in this moment. Again, I mentioned using you know, the, the current governing authorities that are putting us in, you know, in the position that we're in right now where we can't go out or can't go out to work or things are all closed. God says, hey, I put that governing authority over you. Submit to that. Even though you might not like it, submit to it and trust me that this is the best place for us to be in at this very moment. God sees what's going on. God hears what's going on and God is working through it. And that's my next point, that God hears you. Some of us need to be aware that, that God hears us. Sometimes we go through problems and we're thinking, is God listening? Does God hear my prayers? Are my prayers going beyond the roof of this building? Believe me, God is aware of the pain that you're going through. Your affliction is not something He's unaware of. The reality is that God is doing something about it. God's not dead. God's not deaf. And God is not blind. We know that God works all things according, according to His purpose and His glory. So God hears you. God is with you in the midst of this. Whatever it is you're going through, whatever you will go through in the future, know that God sees it or God hears you. The next point is that God sees you. Not only does He hear, but God sees you. God sees all that is going on in our lives, in our world He's not turning his eye from the situation. He's not letting you travel in the wilderness all alone. He's right there with you. Matter of fact, he's leading the way. He knows what's in front of you. He knows what's all around you, and he knows what's behind you. And again, he's working all things according to his purpose and for his glory. And even though we don't see it, and even though we might not understand it, and even though we might not like it, know that God sees it. God's doing something in your life, in this world, at this very moment. And lastly, God blesses those who follow his ways. Right? With Sarah, or with Hagar, he said, okay, go back, submit. And he blessed her because she did that. The same is true for us. Know that as you faithfully submit to God and follow him, he will exalt you in a way that is most glorifying to Him. Again, it may not be in our timing, and it may not be how we would want it, but we know this, that God will do it, and it's going to be glorious, whatever He does. Let me close with this last uh, text in 1 Peter chapter 5. This kind of, uh, kind of summarizes this whole application point about submitting and how God is doing something and will... Uh, exalt us in due time, and it's going to be glorious. Sec, uh, 1 Peter 5, 6-11 says this. He says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you at the proper time, 
casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. That, doesn't that just capture all that was going on with Hagar? He's like, hey, humble yourself. Go back. Trust God. God's going to exalt you. In the meantime, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. He sees you. He hears you. Verse 8, be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. To devour. But resist him. Firm in your faith knowing that the same experience of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Know that suffering is a part of life. Know that you're not the only one suffering with what you're suffering with. Verse 10, After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. The suffering that we're going through is for a purpose. It has meaning. God's using it to perfect, to confirm, to strengthen, and establish us. And then Peter rightly concludes, to him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. If this is what God is doing in our life, which it is, then praise be to God. Dominion be to God forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for these lessons, these real life lessons. Lessons that remind us, Lord God, that we need to stop running from the places that we find ourselves in. That we are not there by accident. That nothing happens by accidents or by chance. Lord, we know that you are sovereign over all things. And may we submit to you in the midst of those. And may we not run away from the places you've put us in. Lord God, help us to remember that you hear our cries. Help us to remember, Lord God, that you see the things that are going on in our life. You are a God who hears and you are a God who sees. And may we never forget that. And may we, Lord God, by faith, trust in you in the midst of suffering, in the midst of trials, in the midst of discomfort, knowing, Lord God, that you are working all things together for good. And you are working all things together to glorify your name. Help us to trust you in the midst of this. And we pray this. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us in today's study. If you'd like to know more about us or where you can attend one of our services, you can find information online at www.ren.church. That's R-E-N dot church. Thanks for listening.